thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Good morning. You can be seated. We want to welcome you here to Central. It is Thanksgiving week. How about that? Can you believe that? You guys ready for turkey, ham, whatever you, 
you might have at your household. It's going to be a great week, and I hope that already I've spoken to several of you have family coming in town. Some of us are out of town visiting family this weekend and week, uh, and I hope that uh, it's going to be a great week, you know, as we celebrate and spend time with family, and um, we're thankful for that. We're going to spend some time in our service this morning praying for just that and being thankful for what God has done in our lives both today and this past year and looking ahead to the coming year as we draw near to the holiday season, and we've got some exciting things planned here toward the end of the year. But when it comes to our families, we're going to spend some time just praying together um, and thanking the Lord for what he's done. And we need to be uh, always thanking the Lord for what he's done in our lives. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here. And thank you for those of you who are members of our church and welcome back to our family uh, gathering. Every Sunday morning, we gather together as a family to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, see each other and spend time and interact with each other. And it is good to be together. There's no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday than to be with you and to minister alongside you, work with you. And so, you know, God is a great thing, is doing a great thing in every one of our lives. I believe that. And so welcome to worship. If you're new with us this morning, we want to extend a welcome to you. If you're visiting or haven't been here in some time, welcome back. Um, those of us who are members, you look around the room. If you see somebody you don't know after the service, make, please make a beeline for them and welcome them uh, and thank them for joining us and being a part of our church family in our congregation here today. Um, if you are new with us today, we want to encourage you just to fill out one of these little guest information cards. They're right there in the seat backs in front of you. Um, if you want to make a decision, for all, that's for all of us throughout the service today. If you need prayer for any matter in your life, feel free to fill that out. You can turn it over on the backside, write down a prayer request. We'd love to join with you uh, as a praying church alongside you that we can pray for you and what God is doing in your life and how we can uh, bear one another's burdens, so to speak, as we read the, the Bible and it instructs us to do that. So we want to bear the burdens alongside you as you pray for particular people, for particular situations, for particular breakthrough in your life or in your family's life. We want to pray for your family this coming week as you gather together as family. Uh, we know and understand that they're not all of us in our families are believers and Christians. We're going to be spending time praying for that this coming week. That might be someone you want to put down on the backside of your card. We'd love to pray for you as a church, um, and we have some, a mechanism to be able to do that alongside you, okay? Let me pray for us this morning, and then we're going to continue to worship through, through music and prayer, and as we uh, draw near to what God has to say to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the time that we have to be here at Central on this Sunday morning. God, we're thankful for the gathering of your people. Uh, Lord, when we look around the room and when we interact with each other in our Bible study classes in the hallways, God, we are thankful that you made this possible. And you made this possible by way of sending your son, Father, into the world. Jesus, you laid down your life for us. You went to the cross on our behalf. You died on the cross. You were buried, but you rose from the dead. And you make this day possible. You make our congregation and our church possible. And then you left us your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you live here among us. You are among us even right now. You live inside of many of our hearts. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, you live in our hearts. And your word says that, God, you are dwelling among us even as we speak. And so, God, thank you. And what we pray this morning, Lord, is that you would speak into our lives today and that you would manifest the presence of Jesus here today, that, Holy Spirit, you would do that. And that, Lord, we would interact with you, that we would sense your spirit moving among us today. 
Would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Would you direct our steps? Would this worship service bring honor and glory to you in every area, in every place? God, would you have our undivided attention this morning? No matter where we've been and what we've gone through, that Lord Jesus, you would speak into our life a way of your Holy Spirit. We would be obedient to you, Lord. We love you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's continue to sing and worship.
Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of your love. Maker of the universe. Broken for the sins of the earth. All because of your love. All because of your You did it for me. You did it for love. 
good word. You can be seated. What a great way to lead, in, lead into our time of prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you want to come forward, to pray with us at the front. Um, you know, this week is Thanksgiving, and we have a lot to be thankful for. If you want to come, you can come at the front. Or what I want to encourage you to do also is to turn to two or three around you, maybe as a family or as a couple, and to pray together. Um, I'm going to kind of instruct us this morning during our prayer time on how we're to pray. Um, and I want to read this morning first and foremost from... Uh, the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 5, whoops, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, but be, that is, for that is debauchery, or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray these words into our lives today, into our families, into our marriages. And we're going to pray these words into our church this morning, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through the motions of church today. You with me? I don't want to go through the motions. I want to engage with a living God who has brought life into me, who's brought life into you, and brought life into us. So if you see somebody around you that's alone, invite them over. Just welcome them into maybe a a group of one or two or three or four just together. We're going to pray this this morning. And I want you to, all your heads bowed, all of your eyes closed. No one looking at me, no one looking at each other. I want you to think about what Paul has just taught us, what the Lord teaches us from his word. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Why would Paul put that there? There are things in our life that can distract us, that can impair our judgment, our minds God designed. I want you to think in terms as you're praying and as you're thinking about the Lord right now, there are things that can fill our minds. The Lord created your mind. He created your brain. He designed it. And he designed it for a purpose, and that was for him to be filled with his word, to be filled with his truth. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I want you to pray for just a moment. Talk to the Spirit of God. Ask Him to fill you. In order for Him to fill you, there are things that need to be taken out of you, out of your mind. So maybe you need to take some time and confess and repent of sin, and then ask the Spirit of God to fill your mind and fill your heart with his truth.
And then we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spiritual people bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's to come out of you. We're to address each other. We're to speak into each other's life. We're to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to people around us, to edify each other, to declare truth. That's how we glorify the Lord. We make melody to the Lord with your heart. Pray that the Lord would help you to make melody to him with your heart. That his truth would come out of you. That his truth would encourage you. That his truth would inform you this morning. giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to begin thinking about things to be thankful for. And I want you to talk to him about how thankful you are. I want you to begin to clear your mind. I want you to begin to think about everything God has done in your life, everything he's doing even now in your life. Thank him for those things. You could be here for hours talking to him about these kinds of things. Oh, the Lord says to be thankful in all things, even when we're going through difficult seasons, difficult circumstances, when you wish the circumstances were different. Give thanks to him even now, even in the moments that you're going through. Do that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has saved you. Church, keep praising him. Keep thanking him for who he is. Thanking him for his nature. Thank you, thanking him for who he is and how he has revealed himself in his word. He is the Lord of armies. He is the great physician. He is a wonderful counselor. He knows you better than you know yourself or anyone in this room knows you. He sees everything. 
He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's always present. There's nothing that surprises him in your life. And give a prayer of submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're to submit to each other. We're to love each other. We're to care deeply for each other. We're to, we're to minister to each other in tangible ways. We're not a room of independent people. We're a room of people that depend on Christ and we depend upon one another. Pray for that. Pray that into the life of our church. Lord, Ephesians 5 tells us that we're to imitate you as beloved children, that we're to walk in love as you, Lord Jesus, loved us and you gave yourself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Lord, we want to be a people that imitate you this morning and so we thank you for your word and we thank you for how you reveal to us who you are. For Lord, without your word, we wouldn't know you in this very intimate, very specific, and very direct way. We would know that you are a God who is over all things and that you are a creator God. And we would know that, Lord, you exist, but we wouldn't know much about you. And yet, Lord, what you have revealed to us in your word is that you are a God who is very, very interested in in telling us who you are so that we can relate to you, so that we can know you, so that we can be a people who walk with you. And God, this morning, we thank you for the time that we have to pray, to pray your word into our lives and to pray, Lord, together, because as a congregation and as a church, as we think about the Thanksgiving week, we are thankful for so much. But Lord, beyond all the things that you do in our life or the things that we have around us in our life, we are thankful most importantly for you. For God, you created us and you made us and you brought us into this world and then you gave us your son, a savior or someone who saved us from our sins. And then you gave us purpose and meaning and we thank you, Lord, we have understood what life is all about, why we are the way we are, but why you have stepped into our life to rescue us and to save us from ourselves. And Lord Jesus, you then left and you gave us a mission as a congregation, mission as a church here on earth to win as many people as possible to Christ, to you, so that they would understand this purpose and this meaning and understand that, Lord, there is a God who loves them and a God who cares deeply for them. And you did not leave us alone. You gave us your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit unites us and your Holy Spirit lives in us and your Holy Spirit directs us and informs us and empowers us to live this Christian life. So God, thank you for the time that we have to pray to you, to talk to you, to interact with you. And we pray now that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you wanna say to us today in your word, because it is your word that matters with the thousand of voices that we hear every week in our life. Lord, it is what your word that that says that is most important to us. It is most important to us. 
And so, Lord, would you lead us into this service, into this time, and give us courage to say yes to you, to respond to you. And, Lord, as we start this week, to, Lord, put your word at the forefront of our lives and follow it with our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, good. And you can return to your seats or you can uh, open up your Bibles with me. We're going to be this morning in the book of, of, not Ephesians, Philippians once again. Philippians chapter 2. It's good to pray together, isn't it? It's good to pray together and um, interact with a God who cares deeply for us. And it's good to pray with each other because we all go through things, good, bad, and ugly in our lives, but we all have the same God and we all need to be praying for each other and bearing one another's burdens as we talked about a moment ago. We're in Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians. I'm stuck on Ephesians this morning. We are in the book of Philippians once again, and we're gonna be in chapter two. This morning, we're only looking at two verses, chapters 12, chapter two, verse 12 and 13, and we're gonna get to that in just a moment. I'll give you time to, to turn over there with me. Um, Motivation is everything in our lives, right? Uh, speaking to a gentleman this morning, one of our men here this morning, doesn't feel that great, he's tired. Most people in his situation probably wouldn't be at worship, but he told me this morning, and I visited with him for just a few moments, he said, it takes a lot for me to get here. I had to really push myself, basically is what he was saying, in order for me to get here. We're motivated by everything in life. Husbands, those of you who are married in the room, do you remember what it was like and how motivated you were to win that young lady at the time so that she would say yes to you when you proposed to her? How motivated you were to do really crazy and outlandish things, right? I remember that 25 years ago and what I did with my wife would do crazy things in order to try to woo her. Worked, right? We're motivated out of everything, right? We're motivated, if you're, if you're a, uh, an athlete, you're motivated, you're driven by a goal, you're driven by you know, wanting to improve, wanting to win the game, or wanting to beat your best time, or, or something of that nature. We're really motivated when we are thinking in terms of vacations and things that we're going to do about studying about that particular place and doing the research and doing the homework and putting the money aside and getting the, the RV ready for RVers or, or prepare our travel plans. We're really motivated where our minds are on these things, right? We are driven and motivated people when we have this goal set before us that we really want to accomplish and that we're really trying to work towards. What motivates you to live the Christian life? That's what the text here is going to answer for us. What, made it, what motivates you to live for Jesus Christ in your life? That's what Paul is getting at here in these two verses. You see what's going on here in verses 12 and 13, this is coming at the end of a long kind of conversation that Paul has had with the church in Philippi. It began in chapter 1, verse 27. Look at your Bibles at verse 27 of chapter 1. It's a verse we've come back to time and time again, but it's really the hallmark verse, if you will, or the, the, the central verse of the book of, of Philippians, or the letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
from that moment on in verse 27 all the way through chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, there has been this argument, or this not just argument, there has been this kind of conversation, if you will, this point that Paul has been trying to make, this case that he's trying to build. He's reminding the Philippians what God reminds us of, right? A regular basis is that this is not our home. Livingston in Polk County is not my home. America is not my home. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. Like this is where my home is. And therefore, not only is that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, I am also a citizen of this community. I am also a citizen of this world. And in this new kingdom that is marked by different things. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, I am marked and ought to be marked by humility. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the church looks like. That's what it it means to interact with each other. This idea of humility, of living in the context of humility. These words that Paul uses here to remind us of this. That coupled with obedience towards the Lord. When I am humble and when I am obedient in the context of each other, that's going to lead to unity. That's what Paul's trying to say. And all of it is driven by the gospel in verse 27. That's why he says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. In other words, let it rise up to the worthiness of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't get us just across the finish line into heaven. He takes that and we have this cruciform life, so to speak, where the gospel informs every part of our lives. It informs my mind. It informs my decision-making. It informs every area of my life. And it consistently does that. It's not a one-time deal. It informs you when you're teaching school in the middle of an afternoon. It informs you when you're in the middle of the night and no one else is around and you begin to think about different things in your life, good or bad. It informs you and I when we interact with each other and we sometimes don't get along with each other. It informs us when it comes to how we are to uh, think about our purpose in life, how we are to think about our mission as a church collectively. It informs it, it changes it, it directs it. And when we are individually, collectively people who strive to be humble and we strive to be obedient, it leads to unity. And that's what Paul's trying to say, which then drives us to this point in verse 12 and 13. Look at it with me in your Bibles. I'll read it for us this morning. You follow along as I read. This is what he says. Uh, Therefore, my beloved, talking to Christians, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Two verses that are power-packed, power-packed. You see, what he's done is he's already unpacked who Jesus is. He has already offered the case that Jesus is our hope. He is our help. And then here's what Paul then says back just a few verses before those two verses, that Jesus is our example. He is not only our hope and he is not only our help, but he is also our example in obedience and humility. You see, God doesn't look at you and say, be humble and be obedient. Jesus is our example of obedience. He is our example of humility. And so when Paul unpacks this, he says, listen, Jesus is our hope and help. Jesus is our example of obedience and humility. Now he gets to this practical application of what really in life, what life is really all about. You see, here's the point. The point is this, I'm to live for God, listen, 
I'm to live for God because God is at work in me. I'm to live for Christ because Christ is alive in me. What God wants you and I to pursue is a righteous life of obedience in light of both what he will do and what he is presently doing in the now. You and I are to live a life that is righteous and obedient in, life of, in light of what he has done and what he will do and what he's doing currently in my life. You know, you can see the single command right there in verse 12, right? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is this command in verse 12, but that command is motivated by a promise in the future on the front end, as well as a reminder of the present power that we have on, from God on the back end. I want you to see it with me this morning. I want you to look at verse 12 with me again. We're going to unpack these verses, and I want to show you what God's Word says to us about living for the Lord, living for Christ, living for God, because He is alive in us. He wants you to live for Him, okay? Now, look at verse 12 with me again. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence. In other words, He is already assuming you've read the first few verses that we just unpacked a week ago. The verses that are just immediate before verse 12. You see, you and I have a future promise. Look what it says in verse 12, therefore. Meaning he's already based and built this argument that leads to verse 12. Therefore looks back ahead at the verses previous before it. It's based on the effect of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says in verse 12, therefore, based off of verses 9, 10, and 11. Look at 9, 10, and 11. Now, I want you to follow the logic with me. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every knee or tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the logic. Look at verse 9. God highly exalts Jesus, right? He humbled himself, he leaves heaven, he comes to earth, he humbles himself. He highly exalts him, why? He highly exalts Jesus because of verses six, seven, and eight. Look at, the Bible, look at your Bibles with me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So follow along with what the text just said. He humbles himself, Jesus does. He obeys his Father. He goes all the way, when it comes to obedience and submission, he goes all the way to death. Death where? On the cross. And because of that, what does verse 9 say? The Father exalts him. The father exalts him, so he's exalted up and gives him not only does he positionally exalt him, but he gives him a name, right? And the name of Jesus, what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Whether you want to believe in him or not, there will be a day where you will bow the knee to Jesus, whether on this side of heaven or the other side of eternity, you will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does all that have to do with me? Well, what has to do with me is in verse 5. You see how he's backing up the argument. I want you to see the logic. Verse 5 is before 6, 7, and 8. And he says in verse 5, have this kind of mind among yourselves, church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The same mind that drives Jesus to the cross is the same mind that I bring 
to the people of God among me, the people that I interact with. Now, that's opposite from culture, isn't it? In our culture today, it's every man for himself, right? To count others more significant than yourself, that is countercultural. To count others more significant than the people around you or to their needs, that is different and distinct. But that's how we're to interact with each other in the local church. That's the kind of mind I bring towards one another. I'm supposed to spend my time, I'm supposed to spend my life in the context of one another, thinking about ways in which I can embrace the mind of Christ that I can humble myself. How can I leverage the resources God's given me? How can I leverage the time God's given me here on earth, the money that God has given me, the stuff that God has given me to meet the emotional needs and the spiritual needs of the people around me in the context of my local church? That's impossible, by the way, without the mind of Christ. It's impossible, by the way, without believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And before he gets even to this command in verse 12, as we saw a moment ago, of working out your own salvation down in verse 12, Paul reminds him of this, therefore. He reminds him that, listen, there is a future promise. The motive for working out your own salvation is this, that something God, God is doing something in you already. He will do something in the future in your life. Here's the point that he's trying to make leading into verse 12. If Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross and the Father exalted him, guess what God will do in your life? If you consistently humble yourself, he will exalt you. He doesn't think, this is not a life that you and I walk around looking for ways in which God will exalt me or it's some sort of an investment that God's going to raise me up. No, it is a lifelong pursuit of humbling myself. You ever find humbling yourself hard? The thing about it is, and this is remarkable, I think about this famous book, maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't, it's called Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes this book. He has, a, he has a, a, a chapter on pride itself. And he says this, thinking in terms of verse 12, of Philippians 2.12, and this idea of pursuing humility in your life. It, it, we, we have this lifelong pursuit of humility. We are trying to be as humble as we can. Then we try to be as humble as we can in this pursuit of trying to outdo my humility. I want to be humbler, and I want to be humbler, and I want to be humbler. And the moment we get humble, then we what? We're proud we're humble. And we got to start over again. In other words, it is this pursuit and this lifelong pursuit of trying to be humble in my life, trying to keep myself down. As I said a moment, a few weeks ago, in what I pray for myself often is that, Lord, would you bring me to the end of myself? It's a lifelong pursuit of trying to bring myself to this place of humility. But there is this promise that God gives me that if I pursue humility and I don't take, take myself too too much of myself, or I put myself too much upon a pedestal and no pedestal at all, that the humble will eventually be exalted. First Peter chapter five or six, we see this in multiple different places around the scriptures, but this is what it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. At the proper time he may exalt you. 
It's up to the Lord what he wants to do in your life. Your life is not to be driven by trying to exalt yourself. The Lord takes care of that. He takes care of whether you'll be honored or not. He takes care of whether you're going to be patted on the back or thanked or not for anything you've done in your life. Your motivation for doing anything in your life is not to get the pat on the back. It's not to get the limelight. It's not to get the applause of men. But it is to be humble before your God. He takes care of the exalting in every way. Matthew 23, verse 12. I love this verse where Jesus says this. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus has a way with words, doesn't he, in our lives. Well, we're to pursue humility in our life. We're to pursue the mind of Christ. We're to pursue this understanding of not only humility, but also obedience. And when we do that, it is met with a reward. We're to live for Christ because Christ is alive in us. So we have a future promise, but not only this future promise, but I want you to notice in verse 12, then the command, right? What Paul says. He says there in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in your presence, but also my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, in light of what the Lord's going to do in the future in my life, I have this ongoing command that I'm to pursue in my life. Paul says, work it out. Look at verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation there with fear and trembling. My first act of obedience in my life, if a follower of Jesus Christ is to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Most of us in the room have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Some of us in the room have not. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. That's your first act of obedience is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart. That is the gospel message, to embrace it. And when I embrace the gospel message, I recognize that there is no hope in religious activity in religion. I'm recognizing that there is no hope in my good works. But that's where most people are, right? If I walk down the street or I walk across the way and I walk a couple blocks over here from our church and I begin to knock on people's doors and I start to ask them this very simple question, eight, nine times out of 10, I'll get this kind of an answer. Here's the question. You mind if I ask you a simple question? What do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? Now, that question's becoming a little far-fetched for folks these days. Because sometimes the response is, well, I don't even believe in a heaven or even an afterlife. Now, that's different. We'll set that aside. But for most people who do believe in an afterlife, here is the response to most people's questions. Well, I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. Or I try to, to, try to do my best. I try to keep you know, food on my kids' tables. I try to do my best. None of us are perfect, you know. You know, we're none of us perfect. But we try to do our best, and we try to be as good as we can be. What am I doing? I'm comparing myself to someone who's quote unquote worse than me in my own mind. But that's not how the word of God teaches us when it comes to salvation, right? It says that none of us are good. None of us own or earn salvation in heaven. None of us have, been, have somehow earned the right to go into heaven. That's not even the case, right? 
My first understanding of obedience is that there is no hope in just going to church and checking those boxes. I'm not a Christian because I'm a member of a local church for 80 years. I'm not a Christian if I'm a charter member of a church. I'm not a Christian if I read my Bible and bring it to church with me. I'm not a Christian if I just go through the motions of going through the baptism waters. I'm not a Christian if I go to a Bible study class or I'm part of a Sunday school class or I serve or I give millions of dollars to a local church. I'm not a Christian because of those things. Those are lies that Satan puts into our lives, right? So what is Paul talking about here? Because it sure looks like he's talking there in verse 12 about working out your own salvation, doing some sort of work to earn it. No. What does it say? Look at the text again. As you have always obeyed. In other words, what Paul's saying is he knows these are followers of Jesus Christ. He's assuming that. Jesus is their Lord, he says to the Philippians. You already know this. You already know that Jesus Christ has saved you. We're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, God's grace alone in our life, as you have always obeyed. But this is what Paul's going to say. He's going to go step further. He's going to say, you didn't work for your salvation, but you've already obeyed and you've obtained it. But then he's going to go a step further here in verse 12, and he's going to say, listen, the Christian life is not passive. The Christian life is active. The Christian life is work. So look at the command again in verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is he talking about? Well, to work it out, that phrase there means to do or to act or to bring about or produce or to make happen. Paul's writing here to Christians. He's not saying that they have a part in their salvation. This is Jesus' work, right? We know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and what a great verse or two verses to talk to someone who believes that they have earned their right to go to heaven because of something they've done in their life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. If you're a good religious person, guess what you'll boast in? that you're a good religious person. If you think you're going to heaven because you gave a million dollars to a church, then guess what you're gonna boast in? I gave a ton of money to that church. If, you're gonna, if you think that you're going to heaven because you served somewhere or because you came to a church casually or because you popped in and out or you did this or that or because of this or this and this, then guess what you're gonna boast in? Those things. If you think you're better than the person down the street or at least I'm not like that person, at least I'm not like a drug addict, therefore God's gonna look the other way on my sin No, the answer is no. It's all the work of Jesus Christ. It's all the work of Christ and Christ alone. We're saved by grace through faith alone, but what is Paul saying? Here it is. Cultivate the salvation that the Lord has planted into your life. This relationship, cultivate it. You by doing and acting and working and bringing it about, the salvation promised to you in Christ. That's what God wants. He says, if you'll work it out, if you'll work it, you'll bring it about, you'll be doing, you'll be acting. This is a continuous, sustained effort to obey the Lord with your life. That's what he wants. He wants you to take this deposit, this seed of salvation that Jesus Christ has touched your heart with, how he's radically changed your life, and then you take it, and just as you would in a garden, at home, or if you're a farmer in a field, you take that field, You take that garden and you cultivate it. You work it. You put the right nutrients in the garden. You pull the weeds out of the garden. You add the things to the garden so that it would do what? So that it would produce the spiritual or produce the fruit that you intended it to produce. 
the field in which you planted. You take, the, 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 you take all of the rocks out of the field before you put the plow into the dirt, but you plow the dirt. It takes work, doesn't it? It's not as though that there is anything you've done to earn salvation, but now that it's in your life, work it. Work it. Do things to try to pull things out of your life. Do things to try to add things to your life so that it would produce spiritual things in your life, not because you're doing it, but the Spirit of God is doing this work in you and through you. Oh, the Christian work is striving. The Christian, or the Christian life is striving. The Christian life is work. It's obedience, right? That means that on my way to heaven, on my way to eternal life, I consistently live an obedient life. I love what Eugene Peterson writes this book and talks about discipleship. And you know how he describes discipleship? It's a, 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 a long obedience in the same direction. That's what discipleship is. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of obeying after obeying, after obeying. And guess what God is doing in you and in your life? He's changing you. He's changing your mind. He's changing your heart. You're becoming more like our Lord Jesus Christ. The more that we obey, the more that we remove, the more that we add, God is doing this work. He's cultivating this work inside of your heart, inside of your life. Paul's gonna describe this over in chapter three of Philippians, and he's gonna say this. He's going to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, he's going to say, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul, Paul's own heart. This is Paul's own life that is driven. He's motivated by this. He's driving his life towards Jesus. He's consistently building his life towards Jesus. I think a lot of Christians like the idea of following Jesus. But sometimes the word of God oftentimes doesn't inform our decisions, right? The word of God sometimes doesn't inform our thoughts, I see this all the time because I can talk to sometimes Christians and followers of Jesus Christ who say, we're people of the book. And then whenever something happens that is extraordinary, either in our culture, in the world, everybody just immediately shifts to, people oftentimes shift to just human logic. Oh, we need to do this, or we need to do that. And we begin to just think about in terms of human logic. When instead we should hit our knees, when instead we should open our Bibles. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? How am I to think through this? How am I to work through this? as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Maybe I need to get two or three trusted followers of Jesus and get them around me and say, listen, this is what's happening in my life. I need your help. I need counsel here. I need you to open the Bible and help me understand how I'm supposed to think through this. God does use that in our lives, right? This is how we work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to work it out. We're to live for Christ. Why? Because Christ is what? He's alive in us. He's alive in you. This is what Paul's trying to say to the church in Philippi. God is at work in your life, therefore work it out. How do I do that? Because that's not natural. How do I do the command of verse 12? Because that's not something that comes natural to my life. 
Well, it was never meant to come natural to your life. It was never meant to come natural to my life. That's why there is verse 13. Because what verse 13 reminds us of is that there is a present power. There is a present power in your life. There is a present power in your home. There is a present power in our congregation. Paul says here, I want you to obey this command in verse 12. Go, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling. But he reminds them, hey, listen, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you. There is a present power. There is something God is doing in you. He wants you to do, just do something through you, but he's doing something in you right now. And so how do I do this? I obey by humbling myself for the sake of unity. Yeah, that's what we've just learned. We have this example in Christ. But by doing that, there is this future promise. I'm going to be exalted. The Lord's going to honor me however he wants to honor me, however he chooses to honor me, whenever he chooses to honor me. My purpose is just to drive myself to consistently humble myself, to not think too highly of myself. And all of that to lead to verse 3, 13, 4, meaning because... All of this in verse 12 leads to verse 13, because God is at work in you. He does not leave you alone to live this Christian life. He does not lead you alone, leave you alone in order to pursue righteousness. No, what God does is he works out of your life what he wants to work in your, is what he is doing in your life. He wants to work out of your life how he's working in your life. He's doing something in your life by way of the Spirit of God who is at work in your life. He's trying to work that out of your life. There is this present power. There is this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. He wants to and has taken residence in your life, but he wants to consistently take more and more ownership of your heart. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, uh, or verse, um, yeah, verse 16 says, and that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The spirit of God is at work. He wants to work in us. God has a specific will. He has a specific work he has for you. You ever consider that? He has a will for your life. He has work for you and I to do in your life and in my life. He has a life. He has years. He has resources he's given me. And what he's doing in my life, he wants to work out of my life. I think about my life. I think about your life. We are conduits, if you will, of what God wants to do out of our life. He's already doing that work in our life. And so this conduit of this life that he's given you, this family he's given you, this church family he's given you, regardless of the season that you find yourself in life, he has work for you to do. Regardless of whether you're one of our widows, he has work for you to do. Regardless of whether you're an empty nester, you've been retired for many years, he's got work for you to do. Regardless of whether you are a place in your life physically where you cannot do much or you're watching online and you cannot be physically here, he has work for you to do. Because as long as God has put you on this earth, he has not abandoned you and his work that he wants to do in you and through you hasn't changed. You ever considered that? No. 
There's no season in the Christian life where we just start going on autopilot and we just receive, 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 and then we all go into heaven. That's never the case. No, he has work that he's doing in you, and the way in which you do this work is by way of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life, which is why verse 12, the command in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, this pursuit of becoming more like Jesus and righteousness and all of that comes by way of verse 13, because God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Whether I'm young or whether I'm senior about to walk into eternity, what God has is he has this will and he has this work for my life. And you can work out your own salvation by way of obedience because God has empowered you to do it. He empowers me to do it. Galatians chapter five says to us in verse 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. We're to be indwelled by the Spirit. Book of Ephesians chapter 5, 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit lives inside of us, but he wants to have all of us. He lives inside of my heart and in my mind, but he wants to have every area of my life, and so that is a consistent, continual filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when I do, the Lord works out of my life what he wants to work in my life. And so we are to understand this command to live for Christ because Christ is alive in me. Christ is alive in you. A few years ago, there was a famous football game. Texas A&M versus LSU. Went to seven overtimes, y'all remember? Don't whoop in in the room. Do you remember the overtimes? 101,000 people in the stands that night. Not one of them left. Yesterday, my alma mater, James Madison, lost in overtime, ended my 10-0 season. Not a person in the stands left last night for that game. Watched it to the very end. Do you know why? What kept them in the seats? because they were uncertain about the outcome. That's what kept them in the seats. They wanted to know who was gonna win, whether their team was gonna win or not. What I wanna remind you of this morning, church, is that our outcome is not uncertain. Our outcome is certain. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what God is saying to us this morning. There is a promise here in your life that leads to a command in verse 12 possible only because of the power that God has in your life right now. So live for Christ because Christ is alive in you. You know how you do that? Start by just simply picking up your Bible and start reading it. Meditate on it. Read it and think about it. Then maybe take some time and pray that into your life. I showed you how this morning. Just take the word of God, his word, his will, and start praying it into your life. Develop a prayer life. Pick up your Bible and start reading it and meditating on it. Develop a prayer life. Surround yourself with people, not just who are religious people, but people who genuinely walk with the Lord, 
Surround yourself with people that maybe will tell you things that you don't want to hear sometimes. All in the name of love, because they love you. People who love Jesus more than they love you and are willing to tell you the truth about your life at times. People who are willing to come alongside you and encourage you and lift you up when you need encouragement. As you strive to walk with Jesus, be committed to the work. Pick your Bible up, read it, meditate on it, develop this prayer life, surround yourself with people who walk with God. Be committed to his work. Be motivated to live for him because of the cross. United in him because he bought you with his blood. That's what God wants you to do with your life. For those of you in the room who haven't been saved yet, Maybe the Lord is speaking to you this morning about giving your life to Jesus. That's what the Lord is saying to you. He's not talking to you about just simply picking your Bible up and developing a prayer life. What the starting point for you is to give your life to Jesus Christ. It's to recognize your sin, to recognize who God is and perfect in every way and holy, but to also recognize your only need and the need that you have for our Savior, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And so I want you to consider this morning what God has wants you to understand, and that is to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, then the Lord will come into your life and he will change you. He will bring a life back into you and he will give you a purpose to live for and work to do in your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're gonna have a time of worship today, or t- this morning at the end of our service, a time for you to respond to what the Lord is saying to you. What is the Lord saying to you? Maybe his call upon your life is just that, to be saved. We'll be here at the front, people here that are willing to pray with you, people that are willing to come up here and talk to you and counsel you. I'll be here here at the front, in the middle. If you wanna come up and just need prayer for any issue, any matter, if you wanna come and pray here at these stairs, feel free to come. If you wanna come and pray, just right here on the front row, just come and sit down or you can come and kneel. But just as an act of, of obedience, just moving forward, say, God, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna live more righteous life. I wanna acknowledge that you're working in me and I want you to work in me in my life. I give you all of my heart. Maybe that's where God has you this morning. But let's live for Christ because Christ is alive in us. Father, thank you this morning for the time that we have to worship you this morning. We pray for your blessing on this time as we respond to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's sing. And you have the courage to come if God is speaking to you this morning. can I offer to a king for all the love you show for all your mercy over me I called your name you heard my cry out of the My soul is free.
God for saving. Thank you, God, for saving me. Let's sing this together. You call my name, I heard your cry. of our salvation the rock of salvation my hope is built on nothing less morning by morning oh how great is your faithfulness Well, I called your name, you heard my cry out of the grave and into light. My heart is yours, my soul is free. Sing it out. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. You can be seated. We are thankful for that as we start a week of Thanksgiving. Hey, listen, we want to just to remind you of a couple very quick announcements, and then we're going to give as we're leaving today, our tithes and our offerings. Um, just a couple events coming up right around the corner. We are about to kick off the Christmas season, as you know, and so that's coming up very soon, and just within the next few days, right after Thanksgiving, we'll be starting that. I'll be preaching a very uh, a special series the month of December, um, and uh, I'm excited about preaching it. It's going to be in the Psalms. We're going to be preaching looking at four psalms in the month of December that will lead us right into Christmas Eve on that Christmas Eve morning. We have a couple events that are leading into Christmas Eve that day. Um, we have two events. One is the Christmas service on December the 13th. That's a Wednesday night. That's just in a few Wednesday nights. And then we'll have a service right in here in this room, special time for our entire worship team, as well as our preschool choir and our children's choir. They're going to be singing. And so that's going to be a special time. By the way, our children's choir will be singing Tuesday night at the, at the lighting ceremony here in town. So if you want a blessing, come out to that. They've been working hard. It's a great group of kids this year. Um, and uh, it's most kids we've had in a while um, in that children's choir. And I'm excited to see them sing this coming week. But that'll be this Tuesday night, but we have that Christmas service on the 13th. We've got some special things planned for right after the service that night, uh, a fun time together for our church family. Um, so a great opportunity to bring friends, family members, and so forth to invite them to come to that. We'll be sharing the gospel, of course, that night. And then on Christmas Eve, as you see right above my head, it's Christmas Eve on December 24th. We'll have one service that morning, which will be a 930 service. We'll have a candlelight service at the end. It should be fun. We're gonna, it's an exciting 
exciting time we've got planned for that, as well as uh, just remember we want to have Bible study that day, uh, evening activities, but we'll have some refreshments that morning. We're going to have a little fun together right after that service before we head out uh, for the rest of our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with our families and so forth, okay? Now, those of you, those of you who are newer members, if you were voted in this past week, I want you to come up. Do we have the slide with their names on it? Can we put that up? I know they're up there somewhere. We had it scrolling. Um, but if we have, if you are a new member, you can come forward. Um, there you go. If you see your name on that sheet or on that slide, you feel free to come forward. Also, if you're, I know a couple of you, we baptized a couple weeks ago. I've got certificates for you. So if you did not get your certificate, Ryder, Michaela, if you're here, both of them, there they are. Look at them up there. You give them a round of applause. We were excited to baptize you guys. And so we wanted to give you this just to remember that. And uh, you stay right up here and we'll pray for you guys. Come on up, Ryder. Don't be shy. Turn around and wave at everybody. There you go. They're all good. If you are here on that, sh- on that uh, screen and you're one of our new members, you can feel free to come down. And then we got uh, Jason is on his way down. We've got several of them out of town. But these were some of our new members that we voted on last Sunday night at our members meeting. Did you guys have fun last Sunday night? Wasn't that a good time? We had a great meal together last Sunday night, and uh, we had a great members meeting. So come on down, Jason. I've got a little quick gift for you. This is Jason Frame. So y'all welcome him as he comes. All right. Drink your coffee out of that. Please, sir. <laughs> All right. Oh, there we go. Come on down, Nancy. And this is Nancy. She's coming down. You're okay. Take your time. They'll wait for you. It's all good. (laughs) You're fine. We want to give you a little gift, okay? Hey, welcome them. These are two of our new members, as well as these kids that have been baptized recently. And there, of course, more there on the screen. But we just want to have a word of prayer over them and welcome them, of course, and celebrate the, uh, the spiritual accomplishments in their life, okay? So let's all stand, and we're going to have a quick word of prayer. Today, as you leave, don't forget to give your tithes and your offerings. You can also give online, but you can also drop those tithes offerings in the boxes as you leave today. And we're going to have a time of prayer for that here as well, okay? So let's pray together collectively as we end our service. God, we thank you this morning for the time that we've had to worship you. Thank you for these that have come to either join our church and be a part of our fellowship, uh, follow through with believers' baptism. God, we're just excited for what you're doing in their life um, and pray that you would bless them as they come into our fellowship and are part of our congregation. We also just uh, pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings. We give them to you as an act of worship, Lord. Uh, Just as we give our hearts to you, we give these tithes and offerings to you. We pray that you would use them, multiply them, help us to do ministry here locally and globally around the world, Lord. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't go anywhere. We're going to sing together the doxology. doxology Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thank you guys.